The Western frontier holds a special place in the collective American imagination. It is a place of myth and legend, where epic battles between good and evil are decided in standoffs and gunfights. Good, of course, always wins in these confrontations, usually after shooting the bad guy in some sort of duel. But the myth of the open range is just that, a myth. In reality, the range was a brutal and violent place, and the expanse of the Great Plains was nothing compared to the limitlessness of humankind's greed. Regardless, the promise of free, farmable land drove hundreds of thousands of people west. Many of them were attempting to escape poverty, and intended on using one of the various land acts to homestead on the open range. Their competition consisted of large, powerful corporations that would commit any crime, even murder, to turn a profit. They often drove off or killed these new settlers in order to take their land. The most common tactic was to claim the settlers were cattle thieves without any evidence, and then threaten to lynch them unless they left the area. A Smithsonian article from 2018 stated that the frontier may have looked bare and open, but it was already part of this corporate dynamic. Not everyone simply gave in to the corporations, however. Some decided to fight. This is the story of the Johnson County War, sometimes called the War on Powder River. Welcome to Shaking America. This episode's sources include Cattle Kate by Jana Boomersbach, Devil's Gate by Tom Rea, The Banditti of the Plains by Asa Shin Mercer, The Johnson County War by John W. Davis, The Smithsonian American History Department, and the Wyoming Historical Society. This is a continuation of the story that began last episode with the lynching at Sweetwater. If you want the full context, listen to last week's episode. It's only 13 minutes long and covers the tragic story of the killing of Ellen Watson posthumously named Cattle Kate by the Wyoming Press. If you don't want to listen to last week's episode, that's alright. Here's a quick recap. After the Civil War, Wyoming Territory became a hotspot for the growing cattle industry. A group of wealthy businessmen formed the Wyoming Stock Growers Association, which we will call the Association from here on out. The Association monopolized and illegally occupied vast swaths of land, much, much more than its members could ever legally claim. They defended this stolen land with fictitious legal theories, such as range rights. When the fake lawsuits didn't work, they would often turn to violence to solve their problems, hiring gunmen to scare off or kill local settlers. By 1884, almost the entirety of the open range was illegally controlled by around 20 large corporate ranches. Ellen Watson was one of the settlers that the association was attempting to remove. She, alongside her husband, Jim Averell, were lynched for attempting to keep their lands from one of the association's members. The association claimed that the reason that the couple was taken from their homes and hung was because they were cattle rustlers. No evidence that they stole cattle was ever found. After her death, the association worked tirelessly to smear Watson's name and justify her murder. They used their newspapers to call her a thief and a prostitute. They claimed that she ran a widespread ring of cattle rustlers that stretched across several territories. None of this was true, and members of the small homesteading community of Wyoming understood that she was really killed for attempting to fight back against the corporations that maintained a stranglehold on the territory. 
Her gruesome death caused resentment and anger amongst the settlers, and hardened their resolve for when the corporations would strike again. Watson was not the only victim of the cattle baron's expansionist policies, though it was notable that she was a woman as there were not many female ranchers at the time. She was, however, a turning point. In the spring of 1892, a group of small ranchers banded together, deciding to rebel against the association's control. They started their own association, called the Northern Wyoming Farmers and Stock Growers Association. A local cowboy named Nate Champion was elected to lead this fledgling operation. Champion had several close friends who had been lynched by the cattle barons, and had even personally survived an assassination attempt the year before. I also suspect that they may have chosen him to lead them because he had such a powerful last name. Champion is a powerful last name. In either case, there are some conflicting reports on this from different local historians. Some say that Champion was not an active member of the Northern Association, but was rather appointed to serve as a sort of figurehead due to his personal history. The original association saw this startup as a direct threat to their revenue stream, and decided to take drastic action. They came up with a list of around 70 settlers that needed to be killed, including Nate Champion and the sheriff of the town of Buffalo, a man named Will Angus who had defied the corporations and attempted to protect small settlers in the past. The association then hired around 50 gunmen and sent them north to eliminate the competition. Led by Frank Walcott, an association member and owner of the huge North Platte Ranch, the men began cutting telegraph lines on their approach to prevent communication during their invasion. Their first target was Nate Champion, who was working at the KC Ranch. Walcott and his men, who called themselves the Regulators, arrived at the ranch late in the evening of Friday, April 8, 1892. They silently surrounded the main cabin and waited for the dawn. There were four men working at the KC Ranch that day. Two were captured when they went to collect water from the nearby Powder River early in the morning. They weren't on the hit list the gunmen carried, and so they were spared. The other two were Champion and a farmhand, Nick Ray. Both were on the list. Ray was first to emerge from the cabin at daybreak, and was immediately shot through the chest by Walcott's men while standing in the doorway. He attempted to crawl on his hands and knees back to the cabin, and was shot several times in the back and legs. Nate Champion emerged from the cabin and began shooting back, dragging Ray inside with one hand and firing his revolver with his other hand. Nick Ray quickly died from his wounds, but Champion was undeterred. For the next six hours, the regulators besieged Champion, firing barrages of gunfire into the sides of the building. Champion responded by maintaining a steady stream of counterfire through the windows, killing four of the invaders and seriously wounding three others. During one of the initial gunfights, another local settler, a man named Jack Flagg, passed by the Casey Ranch and witnessed the siege. Walcott's gunmen recognized Flagg as another one of the men on the hit list and began shooting at him. Firing back, Flagg escaped in the direction of the town of Buffalo. The siege continued through the day and into the night. In between shooting at the invaders, Champion began writing in his journal. He wrote, Boys, I feel pretty lonesome just now. I wish there was someone here with me so we could watch all sides at once. After composing a few personal letters to his friends, the last journal entry read, Well, they have just got through shelling the house like hail. I heard them splitting wood. I guess they are going to fire the house tonight. I think I will make a break for it when night comes, if alive. Shooting again. It's not night yet. The house is all fired. Goodbye, boys, if I never see you again. As a number of the regulators provided covering fire, Walcott ordered a few of his men to set fire to the cabin. Nate Champion signed his final journal entry and put it in his pocket. 
He kicked down the back door with a revolver in one hand and a rifle in the other. In a flash of gunfire, the invaders shot him dead. They pinned a note on his bullet-ridden chest that read, Cattle Thieves Beware. Jack Flagg, meanwhile, rode hard to Buffalo, where he reported the attack to the sheriff, Will Angus. Angus had already had run-ins with the cattle barons and the vigilante gunmen that they hired, and was ready for action. He rounded up a posse of 200 men in under 24 hours, mostly volunteers from the Buffalo community who believed that the association had to be brought to heel. Here's a quote from the book, The Johnson County War. To ensure that no men would be kept from the fray because they lacked equipment, the Buffalo merchant Robert Foote threw open all of the resources of his store, passing out guns, ammunition, slickers, blankets, and flour to anyone who wanted them. Foote rode up and down the Buffalo Main Street, shouting, Come out, you, and take sides. Now is the time to show your colors. The posse rode towards KC Ranch, heavily armed and ready for violence. The association's regulators, meanwhile, continued their mission, heading northwest, searching for men on the hit list. By the early morning of Sunday the 11th, however, they had heard the news that a large hostile force was riding towards them. They retreated to a nearby homestead that they had taken over, the TA Ranch, and began fortifying the area. Sheriff Angus's posse reached Walcott's gang that night, and the two groups engaged in a firefight. One of the regulators escaped in the opening moments of the fight, but five other members of Walcott's crew were killed. The resulting battle would last for three days. The sheriff's posse surrounded T.A. Ranch, digging trenches for cover and killing the regulators' horses to prevent escape. The settlers, led by Angus, even tried to build their own cannon to knock down the walls of the building Walcott's men were hiding in. At one point, a Buffalo blacksmith named Rap Brown attempted to create a siege engine he called the Ark of Safety, which consisted of a large, bullet-resistant wagon that would allow settlers to get close enough to the ranch to throw sticks of dynamite. The situation was looking grim for the regulators. Fortunately for them, the gunman who had escaped early on had made it to safety and had contacted the governor, a man named Amos Barber. Amos W. Barber was a wealthy man who originally came from Pennsylvania. He was a trained surgeon and soldier and had previously served as Wyoming's first secretary of state. He was also a registered member of the Stock Growers Association. On the third day of the siege at T.A. Ranch, the 6th Cavalry from Fort McKinney arrived and demanded all groups stand down. The regulators voluntarily surrendered to the soldiers, understanding that they had been finally saved. Walcott and his men were transferred to Cheyenne in the protective custody of the army. From there, the various hired gunfighters had their bail paid for by the association and promptly disappeared. Court proceedings began for the association members within the state, such as Walcott, but several witnesses either disappeared or recanted their stories. The trial was further delayed by a lack of impartial jurors. Ultimately, the entire case was dismissed by Chief Justice Willis Van Devanter, who was himself a member of the association. The Powder River War was over. Despite that, violence continued for the next decade as suspected rustlers continued to be murdered in vigilante killings ordered by the association. Looking at the broad outline of events, the Powder River War seems like a prototypical Western story. Cattle barons use their money and power to bring in a small army of hired guns to drive off the small farmers and take the land for themselves. Films like Shane, The Magnificent Seven, Heaven's Gate, and many others owe their storylines to the Powder River War. The key difference being that in the films, the good guys win. Thanks for listening to Shaking America.